My name's John Redmond from First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking about why Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, he said that he is. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But here's a good question. Why should we trust Jesus? I mean, he has said of himself, if you want to go to heaven, you have to come to me. Anybody can come. Everybody can come. The door to heaven is open to all people, but there's only one door, and I'm that door. Now, the question is, why should we trust Jesus? And I'm hoping that this sermon today will help answer that question, why he is truly dependable. You say, well, John, that's interesting that I do agree that Jesus is the only religious leader who has dealt with the sin problem. Jesus says, a skeptic would say, Jesus says he's from heaven, but those are the words of Jesus. How do we know that his words are true? Think about what Jesus said in this passage. I am the way. What's the next thing? I am the, he said of himself that he's the truth. You say, yeah, but John, if he's saying that of himself, what if I stood up today and said, I'm the truth? Then he's saying, he's claiming that of himself. How do I know that he's the truth? And if I were speaking today in my office to a skeptic, to an agnostic, I would say to him, that's a good question you're asking. Jesus claimed to be the truth, but how do we know that he really is the truth? How do we know that he wasn't self-deceived, making these things up about him on his own self? Think about this. The only way that you can know if a person is a truth-teller or not is to listen to them over the course of a long period of time. If somebody consistently tells the truth, you say to yourself, I can trust that person. If somebody sometimes tells the truth and sometimes tells a lie and sometimes, you know, adds to a story, you say, I don't know if I can trust that person or not. They, they're not always straightforward. They're not always honest. Jesus Christ always tells the truth. When I was preparing this sermon, I wrote out several illustrations. In fact, in the first sermon this morning, I had us, we got our Bibles, we looked up all these different passages in the Scripture where Jesus had said all kind of amazing things. And you read some of these statements, and you, you say to yourself, what are the odds of that coming true? And you say, zero. I mean, virtually zero. Maybe just a hair above zero, but they're just the odds of that ever coming true are just next to nothing. For example, I'm not going to have us look them up today. I want you just to listen to this. Let me just kind of say it fast today and just kind of take this in. One day Jesus was in a conversation with his disciples and, and somebody said to the disciples, does Jesus pay taxes? And the disciples said, yeah, Jesus pays taxes. And then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Jesus, actually, Jesus was not actually in that conversation. He just knew they were having it. And then when Peter and the disciples came in the house, Jesus said to them, he said, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a fishing rod. I want you to bait that hook. I want you to go down to the Sea of Galilee, and I want you to cast that out into the water. And when you do, you're going to catch a fish. And when you catch that fish, reel it in, you're going to find that there is a coin in that fish's mouth. 
And that coin, Jesus didn't give him this specific, but the scripture, what he actually did, the coin is called a stater, S-T-A-T-E-R. It was a coin that would pay the temple tax for two people. So Jesus said, Peter, you're going to catch this, coin, this fish. It's going to have that coin. Take the coin out of the fish's mouth. Go to the temple. Pay taxes for you and for me. Peter goes to the Sea of Galilee. He does what Jesus told him to do. He catches a fish. Fish had a coin in his mouth. He went to the temple and paid that tax. I think of that passage of Scripture every year during tax season. I honestly do. Get close to April 15th. I say to God, now, Lord, you paid for Peter's taxes, and I'm counting on you to pay for mine. And he always does, not through a fish, but he always takes care of my financial need. But I'm saying, what are the odds of Peter catching a fish with a coin in his mouth? And yet Jesus said that's what's going to happen, and that's exactly what happened. And so those of you today trying to figure out, is Jesus really a truth teller? Can I trust what Jesus said? Use your own brain. What do you think about that story? Tell you another story. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples one day. They were looking at the beautiful temple that Herod had built. It was a a wonder of that world. Jesus said to his disciples, there's coming a day when that temple will be destroyed and not one stone will be left upon another. And I'm sure many people thought, what do you mean? Herod spent 40 years building this temple. What do you mean it's going to, who could destroy this temple? Jesus said that in about 30 AD. In 70 AD, the Romans invaded Jerusalem under the leadership of General Titus. Titus put huge scaffolding up all the way around that temple, and he began to put wood over that, out extended above that temple. He set that temple on fire. The fire was so hot, not only did it destroy the temple, it, it caused the stones, these huge, massive stones on that wall to, be, to melt, to be destroyed, to crumble. Jesus, in 30 AD, said, not one stone will be left upon another. Four decades went by, nothing had happened. But in 70 AD, what Jesus said came true exactly as he said it. So if you're an open-minded skeptic and you're trying to know what truth is, you have to say, now what are the odds a fellow could make a prediction in 30 AD that would come true in 70 AD? Maybe this is not just a fellow. Maybe this is a prophet. Maybe he's not just a prophet. Maybe he's the son of God. Maybe he is the way. Maybe he is the truth. We read in Luke chapter 22, Another interesting thing. It was time for Passover celebration there in Jerusalem. Lambs were being sacrificed. And Peter and John said to Jesus, Now, Lord, I know you want us to have a Passover meal together. We'll go set it up, but where do you want this meal to happen? What room do you want us to to decorate and set up there in Jerusalem? Jesus said, Here's what I want you to do. Go into the city of Jerusalem, and when you get there, you're going to find a man carrying a pitcher of water. And when you find that man carrying a pitcher of water, just follow him. Wherever he goes, you follow right behind him. He's going to go into his master's house. You follow him into the house. Say to the master when you get in there, the teacher wants us to set this room up tonight for the Passover celebration. Jesus said there'll be a large upper room. Peter and John left where they were, went into Jerusalem, What are the odds that they would have gotten into Jerusalem at the exact moment in time when here is a man carrying a pitcher of water? What made this truly amazing is in Bible times, men didn't carry pitchers of water. 
That was considered something that a woman would do back in Bible times. We read about the woman at the well in Samaria, and we read about Rebecca in Old Testament times. So women typically did that. Men didn't carry pitchers of water. But Jesus said to Peter and John, oh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get to Jerusalem, and there's going to be a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. They got there at the precise moment when this fellow was passing through, just like Jesus said. So if you're a skeptic, you're on the fence, you're not sure whether you can trust this Jesus or not, you have to consider that. I'll tell you something, I'll give you an even better illustration than that. On the way to Jerusalem, for Jesus' last time to go to Jerusalem, here he is with the disciples, three separate times Jesus said, when we get to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, they're going to kill me, and three days later I'm coming up out of that grave, I'm going to rise again. He made that prediction three separate times. He called, he predicted his death and his resurrection. Gets to Jerusalem, what happened? They arrested him, they beat him, they crucified him. On the third day, he rose again. So skeptic, so on the fence person, so agnostic. You hear that and you're trying to figure out, well, can Jesus be trusted? If he predicted his own death and resurrection, this isn't normal. This doesn't happen. This has never happened before or since. And so then when Jesus says, I am the way to heaven, the way we know that that is true, not only he took care of the sin problem, not only is he from heaven, but he's Jesus who's saying that, and Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Now, some people say, okay, you're making me think that he is the way, that he is the truth, but to me this seems so narrow-minded. It seems so unfair. Friend, first of all, it is narrow-minded. Remember this, truth by definition is always narrow. If I'm being rolled in to have surgery, I hope my surgeon is narrow-minded. I hope he doesn't just say, I'm going to cut him here and see what I can find. I hope he goes and says, I'm going to do it right. If I'm in an airplane, I hope my pilot is narrow-minded. I hope he's not up there saying, well, you know, I know we always use the instrument panel. tells us where the runway is. I'm kind of tired of having to be that tight and that narrow-minded. I'm going to just kind of free will this thing, and I'm going to just, you know, we'll just hit the ground out there somewhere. Yeah, you hit the ground all right, but if you're not using the instrument panel, you're not going to hit the run. So truth is always narrow. Two plus two is four. Mathematical truth is narrow. Austin is the capital of Texas. Is that narrow-minded or is that, is that just truth? Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States. Is that narrow-minded or is that just truth? by definition, is narrow. You hope your pharmacist is narrow-minded when he mixes together that or she mixes together that prescription, puts that in that pill, you'd be killed. So So when Jesus said, I'm the way and the only way to heaven, yes, it's narrow-minded, but it's not unfair. What would be unfair would be if Jesus would have said, I'm the only way to heaven and only white people can come to me. Or only... Israelis can come to me, or only black people can come to me, or only Asians, or only Hispanics, or only wealthy, or only educated. Well, then we would say, well, if I'm not in that group, I don't stand a chance. What Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture and in other passages of Scripture, he's saying, and we need to understand this, when it comes to heaven and how to get there, there's only one door to heaven. That door is Jesus, but anybody and everybody can come through that door. So it's not unfair. What does the Scripture say? Whosoever will may come. 
If you've grown up Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, even if you grew up in a Christian home, if you grew up Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, anybody can come, but in order to go to heaven, you have to come to the person of Jesus Christ. And so somebody may say, that just seems, un- it's not unfair because anybody can come. And had Jesus not said it that way, it wouldn't have been honest. Now, you still listen? Say amen. Somebody may say, okay, John, you're saying Jesus is the only way. You've given us reasons. You're saying Jesus is the truth. You've given us examples why he can be trusted. Here's a good question. Is there any proof today, modern examples, that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be? Because so far, if you think about it, everything I have said is based on the Bible. And so a true skeptic, a true unbeliever, a true atheist would say, well, I don't even consider the Bible. Now, that's a terrible mistake when they do that, but they would say, I don't even consider the Bible. If you're going to just use the Bible to prove points, I don't even believe the Bible. Well, for a lot of reasons, that would be a mistake. But that person would still be asking, is there any proof in the world today that Jesus is the only way and that Jesus is truth? Yes, he is, because remember what Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the what? And the life. What was you saying he's alive? That Greek word there is zoe. Not bios, you know, bios, from which we get our word biology, talks about plant life, human life. Everybody has, everybody here today has bios. You have that type of life. But Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He said, I am the zoe. What does zoe mean? It means spiritual life. It means abundant life, overcoming life, victorious life, conquering life, supernatural life joyful, peaceful, happy life. Jesus said, I came in John 10. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. He's not talking about our natural life. He's not talking about bios. He said, Jesus is saying the way that you can know that I am who I say I am is not just that my words are dependable, not just that my track record is impeccable. Jesus said, you can know that I am who I say I am because if you will receive me into your heart, I will change your life. You see, I believe in Jesus not only because of the biblical record. That would be enough for me. But I believe in Jesus because He has changed my life. He has given me peace where I used to have no peace. He has given me calmness where I used to have restlessness. He has changed my life, and He is still changing my life. And so one of the reasons that I believe in Jesus is because Jesus lives in me and he's changed my life. You know, a Christian with a testimony is never at the mercy of a skeptic with an argument. A skeptic says, well, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in the Bible. But so the Christian can sit back and listen to that and say, you know, it's sad you don't believe. I wish you would believe. But the fact that you don't believe doesn't change what I know has happened in my life. It's kind of like this morning before I came to church. I thought, man, preaching twice, full morning up there, I want to be ready. You know what I had? Not one, but two bowls of Wheaties. Two bowls of Wheaties getting ready for this day. Some Quaker Oat squares in there with it and a half a banana and some orange juice. Why? Because I said, today I'm preaching twice. I don't want to be up there, you know, tired. I, I want to be ready to roll. And so this morning at my house, I had two bowls of Wheaties. Now, it would be possible for you to be out there today and say, you know what? I don't believe you had two bowls of Wheaties. You could say that. You could even say, I don't even believe in Wheaties. <laughs> I don't believe there's nothing as Wheaties. You know what? You could say whatever you wanted to say about Wheaties. I don't care. I have the witness within me. 
that I had two bowls of Wheaties. And that, those Wheaties are bearing witness to me that I'm full, I'm satisfied, I'm strong, man. I had the breakfast of champions, and that's what I need on Sunday morning. I have the witness within me. And so a skeptic looks back and says, well, you know what? I don't believe in Jesus. I know he says he's the way. I know he says the truth. Some of that stuff gets my attention. Some of that stuff kind of makes me think, but I don't believe it. I say to that person, it's sad that you don't believe it, but the fact that you don't believe it doesn't keep me from believing it. It doesn't change what I know because I know that Jesus Christ has changed my life. And if I'm being honest, I have to say this so I don't give off some air that I'm farther along than I am. Not only has Jesus Christ changed my life, Jesus Christ is still changing my life every day. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. See, I'm not there yet, and neither are you. But I see that he's changing me. It says in the Scripture, I read it last week, 2 Corinthians 3.18, from glory to glory, progressive sanctification. He's working on us, and he'll keep working on us. And I look at my own life, I say I'm not what I want to be, I'm not what I ought to be, I'm not what I need to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. He's changed my life, and he's still changing my life. I was thinking last night, about 9 o'clock, I thought I need to, I was just wrapping this sermon up, and I thought, now besides my own life, what's the most recent example I've seen of God giving somebody new life? changing somebody's life. And I thought about a friend of mine that I've known for 15 to 20 years. I met him at the gym where I used to work out. And every time I would go in that gym, I was, if he was there, I was always glad to see him because he's just a super nice guy. He's a great guy. He's what I would call a man's man. I mean, he's picking up heavier weights than I'm picking up. I can guarantee you that. He's just, strong. He's just a man's man. Always nice, always gracious, always humble. And I considered him a good friend. But you know, in all these 15 to 20 years, I never had really had a straight-on conversation with him about Jesus and about whether or not he was saved. And the reason I never had that conversation is because I never felt led of God to have it. I always feel like on those type things, you have to be led by the Spirit. Like a guy, especially if you're a minister, you can't just like walk in a gym with a Bible and say, I want all y'all to know you're going to hell, and I came here to help you and get you on the right way. No. Because if I do that, first of all, I have no friends. And second of all, I would have nobody get saved because that would turn everybody off. Now, sometimes God, even to a stranger, God may just, you feel the Spirit saying, witness to this person. You don't have to know somebody 20 years to witness to them. But, but you do have to do this. You have to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, whether it's a total stranger, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend. But I just never had felt led to get in that conversation with him. I just felt, I liked the guy. I felt led to be his friend. About two months ago, he, he texted me one day, hey, John, can we get together and talk? We set up a meeting in my office, great conversation. About three weeks after that meeting, he texted me again. He said, John, I enjoyed that conversation. He said, uh, there's something else I really need to talk to you about. Could we set up another time? When I read that text, I knew in my spirit it was, it was going to be about Jesus and it was going to be about salvation. I just knew it was, a, it was God's timing. I always try. I'm not always in God's timing. I always try to be in God's timing. We set up a time. In fact, I said to him, I said, we're going to meet like on a Friday at 5 or 6 o'clock. I said, look, I'm going to be home all day on Friday working on my sermon. Won't you just come to my house? It'll be relaxing. I've known you 15 years. I feel comfortable having you in my house. Let's just come up to my house. He came to my house. We got to talking. And while we were just talking, in my spirit, I just felt like in his heart, he wants to talk about Jesus and being saved and being sure that he's saved. And I said to him, I said, you know, 
And I told him my testimony, which you've heard, about how I got saved. And then years later, I, after a long time of doubting my salvation, God brought me to the full assurance of my salvation. And I just opened up and bore my soul and told him my testimony. And when I got finished with that, he said, John, I'm so glad you've shared that with me. He said, you know, in your case, you needed to make sure you were saved. He said, but in my case, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure I'm not saved and I need to just get saved. And he said, but the fact that you just spill the beans on yourself like that makes it easier for me to spill the beans on myself. And he told me his background. And he said, John, what I need in my life more than anything else is to know beyond the shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ is living in my heart. And on a Friday evening about 6.30 or 7 o'clock in my home study, he and I bowed our heads and this man prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart to forgive him and to save him. And when we got finished with that prayer, He had a smile on his face like a kid on Christmas morning. And we hugged each other, and I could just tell the weight of the world was lifted off. Man, we celebrated. The next day, I got a text from him. He said, John, I'll never be able to thank you enough for letting me come to your house last night and have that conversation like that. He said, said, for the first time in my life, I know I'm saved. And he said, John, now this is, I'm talking about a man's man. I'm talking about a man. I'm talking about a man's man. And I say that to say, most men don't say what he put in this text. He said, John, I feel like I'm walking on clouds. He was just saying, I feel light. I feel free. And late last night as I was doing this sermon, finishing this sermon, I thought, God, what an example of somebody receiving Zoe life. Why do I believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus because I believe that he is who he says he is based on the revelation of his word in Scripture. But I believe in Jesus because he has changed my life. He changed my friends. He's still changing us. And I know hundreds, maybe thousands of people whom Jesus Christ has changed. And I'm asking you today, has Jesus Christ ever changed your life? Every last one of us today has bios. Our hearts are beating. Air is flowing through our lungs. Our minds are working. We have life. We have physical life. But do you know for sure that you have spiritual life? In the first service this morning, got to this point, sermon's over, time for the invitation. I led in the sinner's prayer, and I said it, I, I felt it in my heart. I said, I, I, sometimes I get it wrong, I think God's, but I said, in my heart of hearts, I just feel that somebody just got saved. Gave the invitation, several people came forward. One girl came with her sister-in-law from the top of that section over there, walking down that aisle, crying like a baby. I never had met her. And I said, hey, I'm so glad you came today. Her sister-in-law introduced me. Said, John, she's never been here in all her life. This is her first time to come to First Baptist. And then that girl spoke up and she said, yes, it is. And today I just got saved. I just asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I feel in my heart today that there's somebody in this service who needs to do the same thing. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe that skeptic on the fence, maybe that agnostic saying, I just don't know. But John, today as we've thought about the words of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, the track record of Jesus, as we thought about the reliability of his word and as we've thought about The proof of how he's changed other people. Some would say today, I need Jesus Christ to change me. Head bowed and eyes closed. Would you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the way to heaven. 
I ask you now to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian, God. Give me new life. Give me new life, God. A life of joy and a life of peace. A life of assurance and a life of calmness. God, give me Zoe life, spiritual life. Lord, I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. And during this next song, give me the courage to make it public. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen and amen. Well, friend, if you prayed that prayer today, God has heard your prayer, God has answered your prayer, and God has saved you. And what God is going to begin to do in your life, He's going to begin to change you from the inside out. He's going to give you a love for things that you've never had a love for before. The Bible, prayer, church, Christian friends. And He's going to begin to give you a hatred for things that you've never really hated before. Sin and maybe bad language or things that didn't please God. So I would just encourage you, keep walking with God each day. Get involved in a good church and be with us next time on Peace by Believing.